run this, I think we've only had to run the snowblower, what, three or four times this year? Yeah, it's been good. All right, our topic for the day. Better plans. I just want to spend some time this morning exploring with you this idea of when and how we should include God in our planning. And I will be advocating a couple things. One, that with God you get better plans. And two, I think we should be bringing God into our planning sooner, not later. When you're facing some big thing in life, you're at a crossroads, you have a big decision to make, don't make God an afterthought. Bring him in early. I was on my way to Ukraine to teach English. This was many years ago, long before there was a war, or the second war going on right now. And on the way to Ukraine, Ukraine is located in the, in the Euro-Asia division of the Adventist Church, and the, the English schools that get run internationally are organized in the same way. So the Euro-Asia division schools are being run by a director who sits in Moscow. And so I went there many years ago, and the director had organized some training for all the new teachers over in this university right here. This is a Adventist seminary a few hours outside of Moscow. So he flew us to Moscow, then he took us here. And I was interested in this fellow because he was not too much older than me. I was in my early 20s. He was in his late 20s, maybe early 30s. And so while I was there during the training, I asked him at some point, can we talk? <clears throat> I just want to learn a little bit more about how things are organized and how you do your work. <clears throat> so we found some time one evening and he was explaining to me how the English school works inside the Adventist church, why he sits at the division headquarters there in Moscow, and some other things. At some point, I asked him, I said, how do you make plans? And he said to me, well, we get ideas. And when one of those ideas gets approved, I make a plan about how to implement it. Then I go to God and I ask him to bless it. And then I execute. And I heard that. And I thought to myself, when he said it, I said, well, something doesn't seem right with what he said, but I didn't know what it was at that moment. And I thought about it over the years. At some point I realized, I feel like he got it out of order the way he said it. He put God at the end of the planning. He's asking God to bless his plans at the end. <clears throat> now, I don't know if this gentleman, I'm not here to judge him, I don't know if he does that explicitly or not, but the way he articulated it to me that evening seemed out of order. And I think there's a verse for this. This is, from James, this is from James 4. Look here. Look here. You who say, today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. I think James, I think his focus here is simple. Don't 
think that you can go out and make plans, especially a big plan where I'm gonna go and do business over in this other place and I'm not gonna bring God into my planning or maybe I'll make him an afterthought. No, what you ought to do is seek God's will before you start making your plans, before you come to the point of execution, bring God into your planning. This is another story from my own experience. This is a little later on in life. My wife and I, we already had our first child. She was about one year old. And I was working at a large company and I sat in a building very similar to this one. I was on a contract and a little backdrop to this experience is that this was now the fourth thing I was doing over the course of two years. I had been working at a small company and I left that small company because I disagreed with some business practices that they were doing. And I, so I took a contract at the same big company. That was my first contract. And then I left that contract to take a job up in San Francisco. This is all back in California. Took a job in San Francisco, full-time job. And then that's, it was another small company, and they had some issues keeping the level of business that was required to keep me on board, so they had to let me go at some point. And so I went back to this big company and took another contract, and I'm coming to the end of the contract. And the woman that I'm working for, she has assured me that she wants to renew the contract, and she's talking to her boss to figure out how to do that, and that was about four weeks before the end, then two weeks before the end, and now it's the Wednesday before the end of the contract. The end of the contract is on Thursday. I finish up my work. Thursday morning, I come back in, and she finds me after I got settled, and she says, I don't know why, but they won't renew the contract. This is your last day. And since you've already wrapped up everything, there's no reason for you to stick around. Uh, you can bill us for the full eight hours, and you can go home when you're ready. So, I said my goodbyes, I went home, mid-morning. And my wife noticed, she was there, home with the baby at that time, she wasn't working. She noticed that I came home early, well, what are you doing? Contract's over, <laughs> here to hang out. So we talked, and because of the issues that I was having with my jobs over the last couple years, I'm not saying this was right, but this is what we decided. We decided we need to pray, and we prayed for the following. God, please give my wife a job quickly. I want to tell you, if I subtitle this particular little story, I'm going to say, you get what you pray for. All right? Now, my, we, did, we, we, we asked, we offered that prayer up mid-morning, my wife, that morning, searched on the internet, found a couple of jobs. She applied for them. That afternoon, one of those companies, a small business owner, called her up and asked if she could come in on Friday the next day for an interview. She went in on, the, on that Friday. He hired her and had her start on Monday. So two business days later, she had a job. But what is the title of this story? You get what you pray for. That was the toughest job my wife ever had, as far as I can tell. I'm not going to get into the details. I'm just going to say that she would come home mentally, emotionally, and physically exhausted almost every day. 
So much so that after about two months, we were wondering if God had actually given her that job. Now, I'm gonna tell you in, in retrospect, I believe God gave her that job. However, maybe we should have asked for something different. Maybe instead of running forward, we should have slowed down and asked God, what was his will for us? Maybe, maybe I don't know what would have happened. I'm not gonna speculate what would have been different. I'm just gonna tell you what happened. You see, after my wife started that job, she also started praying. No, I was praying too, but obviously her prayers are more powerful, and she was praying for something very specific. She was asking that God would give me a job that would bless the family and would last for a long time. So six months after she started working, she quit her job on the day that I started at a new company a job that was quite a blessing for us and lasted for 17 and a half years. So, I, I would just submit to you God's ways are better. He has better plans. In fact, this is Romans chapter 12. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is what? Good and pleasing and perfect. So let's just walk that back. God's will for us is good, pleasing, and perfect. His plans are better plans than whatever we have in our mind. But there's a then in there. First, let God do some heart preparation and then he will open his plans to you. One more story. This one comes out of scripture from the book of Judges. There was a civil war in Israel and it was uh, centered around the tribe of Benjamin. And I believe this story illustrates some of these ideas and pulls them together. And it actually is gonna give us a framework that we'll look at for godly planning. But a little bit of context. This story comes from a section of scripture where it says everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In fact, that thought is repeated. It's stated at the beginning of chapter 17 and it's stated at the end of 21. Book ending this idea that these five chapters, this is a section of scripture where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And for many, this is a very tough section of scripture because when you read it, you're left with the feeling, why in the world are these terrible stories in the Bible? Anybody had this experience reading these chapters? Yes. Why are these stories? And I think the answer is, right there in front of us. God wanted to put on record what happens when people don't walk with him. When people do what is right in their own eyes, you can go to these five chapters and read the stories and then you can see this is what happens. And there is a point, a pointedness to this message, to this idea, because Judges is not just a story about anybody in the world. Judges is a set of stories about who? God's people. 
And so these five chapters show you what happens when God's people fall away and don't walk with him. There's five chapters. The first two is Dan takes a city. That's the tribe of Dan. They went and took a city from some defenseless group. You can read that. It's quite an involved story. What we're going to be talking about today is the Civil War. There are three chapters that cover this story. The first, chapter 19, is a prelude to the Civil War. This is, there's a sin of Gibeah. Gibeah is a town in Benjamin. So something bad happens in the town of Gibeah. Then there's the Civil War, chapter 20. This is the actual battle that ensues between the tribes. And then there's an aftermath. And there was an aftermath because one of the tribes of Israel was almost wiped out. And they, had to, they wanted to stop that from happening. We're going to be very focused on chapter 20 today. I'm making this point for those of you who know these stories. We're not going to be going into chapter 19. We'll just be focused on the Civil War itself. Let's get into the story. So something bad happened in Gibeah, and there was a man there, he was a Levite, that was arguably the victim of what happened in Gibeah. And I'll leave it at that. The point is, is he let everybody know that something bad had happened. And so Israel came together. 400,000 soldiers. 400,000 got together. And the leaders, who knows how many people were there. Israel got together, except for Benjamin. They got together, and there was the Levite, and they said, tell us what happened. And he said, this bad thing happened in Gibeah of Benjamin. They murdered my concubine, and they wanted to murder me. You are the children of Israel. Make a plan how to punish them. And that's what they did. They, they determined how they were going to wage war against Gibeah. But before they started, they sent out messengers throughout all the tribe of Benjamin. And they said, give up those wicked people from Gibeah so that we can punish them and put them to death. Benjamin said no. They gathered together their army, 26,000 Benjamites against the 400,000 Israelites. And then I'm going to read here from Judges 20, verse 18. Before they went to battle, it says, Then the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. They said, which of us shall go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? The Lord said, Judah first. So Israel gathered together for the war, and they attacked Gibeah. And on that first day, the Benjamites, the Benjamites <laughs> killed 22,000 Israelites. So there were 26,000 Benjamites, and they killed nearly a man for man. Reasonably, the children of Israel were upset. And we read that the people, this is verse 22 for those who are following along, the people, that is the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and again formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. Then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening. And they asked counsel of the Lord, saying, 
Shall I draw near for battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, go up against him. So day two, they repeated. Frontal assault on Gibeah. And on the second day, 18,000 Israelites were killed. Then, verse 26, we read, then all the children of Israel, that is, all the people, went up and came to the house of God and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord, saying, I'm going to skip ahead here. They, verse 28, they were saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. Day three, the last day of the war. Israel gathers together again. Now they have God's assurance, but they decide to change the strategy. They send a group around the backside of Gibeah, a small group, with a plan. The plan is the main force is going to go up like normal, get the Benjamites to come out and start fighting. Then we're going to draw back, and when we've drawn back and we've got the Benjamites fully out of the city, the ambushers are to come in, destroy the city. And when we see the smoke of the city, that means that's our signal to turn around and fight hard against Benjamin. And that's what they did. And when the smoke rose up, the Israelites turned around and started to fight hard against Benjamin. And Benjamin turned around and saw that the city was destroyed. They lost heart. And we read, the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. And the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites. All these drew the sword. So God gave them the victory the third day. After they had killed most of the Benjamite army, they chased the last remaining few hundred to a cave at Ramon. And then when they had chased them into that cave, they went around through all of Benjamin all the tribe of Benjamin, they went to every town and every city and they killed every living thing. They left no one alive. And so the aftermath, as we mentioned earlier, is the leaders of Israel got together. They knew about these few hundred men that were hiding out in that cave. And they said, it's not a good thing that a tribe would, would die off in Israel. So they found what I'll call a creative way to provide wives for the men and Benjamin was not annihilated as part of the Civil War. So, lessons from the Civil War. I'm going to look at this idea. Something was wrong in Israel. Talk about what happened. I think there was, there's a way to frame the story. And that framing gives us a formula. Let's talk about it. Something was wrong in Israel. So just reading the story, you can already... Con it's pretty easy to come to a conclusion. Something must not have been right in Israel. God did not give them the blessing the first two days. They had 400,000 soldiers. Benjamin only had 26,000. Those are pretty good odds, and yet God did not give them the, the victory. And if that's not enough, though, it's almost as if there's a message in the numbers. Remember, 400,000 Israelites came to fight. How many died the first day? 
22,000. And how many died the second day? How many is that? And what is 40,000 of 400,000? So you might be wondering, Paul, are you arguing that the Israelites were not paying tithe and God had to tithe them? If you're asking me the question, the answer is they probably weren't paying tithe because when people aren't walking with God, they tend to stop paying tithe, right? But I think there was a deeper meaning here, the meaning of the tithe itself. Because what is tithe? Tithe is our way of acknowledging that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift and that we trust him to take care of us. Amen? And Israel had fallen away from that trust relationship. And when we stop trusting God with our lives, what tends to creep in? Sin and things that block our relationships. So something was wrong in Israel. God wouldn't give them the blessing. This makes me think of what Jesus said. Right? If you go to your brother and you want to take care of the speck in his eye, you want to talk to your brother about the speck in his eye, make sure you deal with the log that's sticking out of your eye first. Sometimes before God can give us the big blessing that he wants to give us, some heart preparation and even repentance is needed. So let's talk about what happened. I think the story frames up for us. There's a pattern that repeats. So let's go through these days. Day one, what happened? They made a plan and they went to God with their plan. And what was their prayer? Who should go first? God, bless our plan. Who should go first? God's what did God say? He said, Judah first. Their strategy, line up and attack. And what happened? Benjamin won the first day. The second day, they wept and asked counsel of God. Shall I go again, was their prayer. God said, go again. And what was their strategy? Same as the day before. And what happened? Benjamin won again. Then they started to realize something. This time they wept. They sat before the Lord, which means they were listening. They fasted and they offered sacrifices, which means that they were repenting of their sins. And what was their prayer? Shall I go or shall I stop? What was God's answer? I will deliver them into your hands. Their strategy, they changed their strategy. And what happened? God gave them the victory. So I believe that this gives us a framing or a formula for godly planning. Heart preparation. What happened with the Israelites? God did not give them the blessing until they were willing to sit down and listen, until they were willing to let God do some work on their hearts. And the same is true for us. When we have something big in life before us, if you're at a crossroads, the first thing to do should be to get down on your knees and let God do some work on your heart. Can I hear an amen? Number two, what happened with Israel? They got to the point where they, the first it was, we have a plan. Please bless our plan. The second time, they're a little bit of a question. What should we, you know, can we keep going? The last time, they said, should we go or should we stop? They got to the point where they were admitting, we have no idea what we're doing. And I think that's a good starting point for us with God. 
God, I have no idea what I'm doing. Or if I do have ideas, I'm willing to let those ideas be replaced by whatever good plan God has for me. Number three, God's assurance. Israel got the promise, go, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hands. And this is a good place for us to get to when we're making plans and praying. Don't stop until you get the assurance and peace from God that he will be with you in your plan. Number four, a sound mind. We didn't touch on this too much, but you see that Israel started to think more clearly after they had peace with God and they were putting the plan in God's hands. And even though they had the promise from God that he was going to deliver Benjamin into their hands, they still exercised what they had in their, what God had given them. Use your mind, use your brain. And I think when we are at peace with God, we're free to think more clearly and God expects us to use our head and do all we can to execute, even though we have his assurance of victory. Finally, God gave the victory not to be forgotten. And that leads to our conclusion. I believe God wants to make great plans with us. He wants to give us greater blessings, but he won't do that until we allow him to do that heart preparation, until we are walking with him. And then when we do that, he will give us blessings and plans that we cannot even possibly imagine. Amen. We're going to have our closing song now. Please join us in singing and in standing as we sing our closing hymn, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah.